to make extremely difficult and soul-searching decisions. We're talking about practice. Okay, I'm starting out this time. I'm going to read something from David Murphy's column in Wednesday's Daily News. It wasn't the buzzword salad itself that raised doubts about the command structure at one Novacare way. Rather, it was the peculiar reality Lurie seemed to inhabit as he served us his latest version of the dish, a reality that sounded considerably different from the one Eagles fans had witnessed in recent years, particularly with regard to Howie Roseman and a personnel department that deserves much of the blame for the club's failure to win a playoff game in seven seasons. In this reality, Lurie's decision to hand Chip Kelly full personnel control wasn't a move that he quickly came to regret, but a calculated decision that not only would force his coach to take responsibility for his decisions, but even better, would allow him to send his brilliant general manager on a worldwide spirit quest in search of universal truth. I'm now going to hide under the table. David Murphy, the floor is yours. (laughs) It's actually supposed to be read in poetic rhythm. Yeah, you did not read that in iambic pentameter. Um, I I had some bongo drums playing as well. <laughs> I'm going to go hide now. See you guys later. Mur- Murph's been reading a lot of Robert Bly lately. Um, I don't know who that is. Is he another 1970? No, he's, a, uh, he's an author who's written extensively about um, manhood and the spirit quests and things like that. Yeah. So I read him in college a little bit, pa- part of a class. I got to say, your shirt, man, it's popping today. Boom. Boom. Like what is that made? What is that made out of? Is that burlap? It's, it's made by the slave children that Banana Republic employs. Well, I'm, all right, let's so, uh, let's all feel good about ourselves. Yeah, no, seriously, absolutely. it feels like a, a burlap sack. Kind of does. Feel yeah. that, Jonathan Tannenwald. <laughs> I'm not reaching me. across the table. Thank you very much. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about Jeffrey Lurie today because it's one of my favorite topics. Me being Daily News columnist David Murphy, joined here by Mike Sielski of the Philadelphia Inquirer and Jonathan Tannenwald. The trusty sidekick. <laughs> <laughs> so, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm driving in my car yesterday on my way back from God knows where, and Jeffrey Lurie comes on the radio, unedited, streaming, live, streaming live in the Dave Murphy's Kia Optima. And I got to tell you, like I just had to sit there after I parked and like gather my consciousness because it was say, like please tell me you pulled over it was, <laughs> it was drifting all around the car and i was trying to gather it up like butterflies i mean this guy like what 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 books is this guy reading I, that's a good question it's some combination of malcolm gladwell donald trump's the art of the deal and you know tom wolf's the electric kool-aid acid test i think i mean it's <laughs> it's crazy that that he would be out there down in Boca Raton on Tuesday morning. The Tuesday, yeah, I guess it was Tuesday morning. It doesn't matter. And time is just an expense. And yeah, exactly. Especially, especially for him. Yeah. And try to sell this to people. The idea that Chip Kelly would be promoted and Howie Roseman demoted all as some kind of part of Jeffrey and Howie's master plan to expose Chip or give him the opportunity to expose himself as someone who didn't know what he was doing. And all the while, Howie Roseman's going to be traveling the country and traveling the world, 
you know, finding where successful teams are being successful and what's the secret to it. And then after DeMarco Murray isn't what DeMarco Murray was for the Cowboys and Byron Maxwell gets hurt and uh, Billy Davis's defense can't stop anyone, only then will Jeffrey spring Howie back into the position of power that he once had and all will be revealed to everyone in well, Philadelphia. Well, let's we have that clip, don't we? Can we can we play that? Yeah, we so so just to set this up, Jeffrey Lurie's at the owner meetings in Boca owners meetings in Boca Raton and somebody asked him why he felt Howie Roseman deserved another chance at this semantically unnamed job at the head of the personnel department and and here's what here's what the big guy had to say you know it was really clear I, first of all the whole plan um was for howie to really spend the time studying state-of-the-art uh decision making around the globe in sports and we really opened it up to uh you know from uh english premier league nhl nba mlb try to find who the best general managers or quote head of Opera, basketball operations or whatever were, uh, make sure that uh, Howie was able to spend a lot of time with all these people. I spent some time with some of them and really kind of take that year and, and learn from the best in terms of where they're usually open about their successes and their mistakes and where they got lucky and just, you know, take it all in. And um, I think one of the things that really comes across with, with Howie today is the, the clear thinking uh, the strategic aspects of it all, um, the humbleness, not that he wasn't humble before, but uh, when you meet some of the top heads of football, uh, heads of basketball, hockey, soccer operations, uh, the humbleness comes across, the collaboration comes across, uh, the chemistry in the building comes across, and those were all things we wanted to, you know, incorporate into the, the decision-making. It's so often about one consistent, non-flashy decision after another basically. Um, it's not winning press conferences. It's not winning free agency. It's making just solid decisions one after the other, and hopefully you make more than most of the other teams. I mean, talk about flunking management 101. <laughs> I, I, it's, like, I'm it's, at a loss for words. It's flabbergasting. The idea, first of all, let's, let's present history as it was at the time and not in this revisionist kind of way that Lurie is trying to do. In January of 2015, Chip Kelly was coming off of back-to-back 10-6 and six seasons. Now, granted, in the second of those, they missed the playoffs and, and had gone 9-3 and three and lost three in a row and, and faded down the stretch. But nevertheless, the, the dynamic and the perception of the, with, of the Eagles front office then was that Chip had all the power. He had the leverage. He was the new, hot new thing in the NFL, and if the Eagles would have allowed him to walk or get away from them, it would have been incredibly embarrassing to them as a franchise. They got him. He stayed two years. They won with him after going 4-12 and in 2012, the year before he got there, and they let him walk. So Jeffrey Lurie gave him this power, and only after it blew up in all their faces did Lurie then come around to this idea of, well, we gave it to him because... You know, we wanted to see what he could do, and if it didn't work out, we could always go back to Howie because now Howie was filled with all this knowledge from spending a year traveling and learning and immersing himself in success, and it's baloney. And I don't understand who would who would tell him that it's okay to say this, well, that, that people would buy this. Well, then I'd kind of take then the 
even if the view that even if people did buy this, what does that say about your leadership ability and the fact that you're you're trying to convince people that you essentially sandbagged your own head coach, that exactly. you promoted him to a position that you suspected he was going to fail in to the extent that you sent your the inter- guy you really interimly wanted. demoted yeah. boy <laughs> wonder on a seven years in Tibet tin <laughs> world excursion so yeah. that he could find the you know the the tree of life and the tree of art the, the tree of the smart decision making. I mean it like let's let's pretend for a moment that we do buy all this. We have for, lift for, off, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. <laughs> I'm just saying forget the fact that Forget the fact that nobody is actually buying this. In a perfect scenario, Jeffrey Lurie says, oh, these guys will believe that I always intended for Howie to come back after completely destroying the 2015 season by putting Chip Kelly at the helm. Right. I, uh, and now, now let's go back. This is, uh, we're in the hypothetical territory here. I continue to believe, and, and we have a clip another clip that jumped out at me from Jeffrey Lurie uh, later on where he talks about um, what does he talk about? Either retaining young players or the vision quest that he went Howie on. Those are the two we have left. <laughs> Opening up the curtain to the listeners out there. I, I want to throw this out there real quickly. First of all, Jeffrey Lurie is taking Eagles fans for sheep. Yeah. Which any number of people have done over the years, but I'm not sure the owner of the team should do. Mm-hmm. Second of all, and Mike, you and I were talking about this on the video that we did a few right. hours before they recorded the show. And since since Jeff Lurie said the magic word communism and I did not, I will <laughs> use this as an entree. When did he say communism? Soccer. So I, my, he, they my... went to send them to the English Premier League soccer He sent Howie to the English Premier League. Many I... of which are garbage and do not know how to win at all. And how... So... Knowing as I do how few actual winners there are over there, and knowing as we all do how few winners there are in actually in Major League Baseball, in the National Hockey League, in the NBA, and wherever the hell else they may be, what lessons on winning did Howie Roseman actually learn here? Because I'm not sure there are many. It's all baloney from beginning to end. We've talked about this. We have talked about this at length on this podcast. The The... The revisionism and the and the misplaced insight that Jeffrey Lurie seems to draw from his the success that the Eagles have had during his ownership. We've talked about this. What did they do right to make themselves a good franchise? They hired a a good coach in Andy Reid, and they drafted a franchise quarterback, however you want to define the term, in Donovan McNabb. And he kept them stable and competitive for 10 years now that you take that away the emperor appears to be violating some i'll make it even yeah. simpler laws. they had a good coach and good players but I, what's yes. so difficult about I, that i remember what i was going to say jeffrey lurie in his quote about re-signing young players which we do have because dave murphy is a expert audio editor <laughs> and he spent 15 minutes uh clipping up some audio expanding his resume getting ready for the next step in the old career uh <laughs> He says, when he talks about resigning Zach Ertz, about he, Vinny he Curry. He says the following, if the people want to listen to it. Okay. I mean, a key element in the whole thing was re-signing our best young players. We have a lot of really good young players. We wanted them all with us for the long run. We want them to, um, you know, it's, you may see it less and less in the NFL, but there is an opportunity, and we've always been 
you know, trying to do this for years, whereas find and identify your best core talent. If they're really good people and good teammates, if they're good in the community and they're real talented, make sure you get them uh, and be Eagles for a long time and get them early. And, uh, you know, that's what it was with Lane. That was what, uh, with Vinny. That's with... Uh, Ertz, and uh, sometimes it's a re-signing of Selleck for a few years. And uh... The part that I zeroed in on and it made my ears perk up was when he talks, he runs down the qualifications for these alleged good young players, and part of it was, you know, good in the community, good in the locker room. And part of Chip Kelly's failure as a general manager, we're supposed to believe, is that he got rid of two guys in Deshaun Jackson and LaShawn McCoy who, who do not fit either one of those categories. Right. And it's it's amazing to me to listen really throughout this entire news conference how aligned Chip Kelly's philosophy seems to have been with whatever Jeffrey Lurie is pursuing as the vision of his franchise. He talks about sports science. He talks about right. analytics. He talks about you know being bold decision makers, <laughs> modern decision makers, and it, and and but that that part right there is where I, I feel like there's a little bit of disconnect within Jeffrey Lurie's own consciousness because he he, he clearly uh, regretted the LaShawn McCoy trade. But LaShawn McCoy, I mean, let's be honest, he, he's not a not a good person in the community. I, I would I, I don't think he's going to be getting any civic. No, he's civic not. He's not. He wasn't out there building awards. playgrounds with Connor Barwin. Right. And know. as been as we've discussed before on this show. LaShawn McCoy was running five yards sideways before he ran right, right, two yards forward. But, 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 a lot of people, as a football even, but, but, no, people, people but that's were beside the point. That's, that's beside the point. Because I just want to focus on something that is not in dispute. There's people who, who really want their last straw with Chip Kelly was when he traded LaShawn McCoy. And whatever. He, he, he had results in the field. I will, for the sake of the argument, I will grant them that. But he was not this guy that you want out there carrying the banner of eagledom which is how Lurie described his decision to re-sign Lane Johnson, Vinnie Curry and Zach Ertz and that leads into the question are these guys really good young players? I right. mean what like what have they done? Yeah, it's it's interesting because to go back and look at I, I did this the other day I kind of went back and looked at some of the things I'd written about Chip over the last year once he got that power and um to, to kind of piggyback on what you just said, you know, Chip was very much, if you talk to his assistants, he was very much into the the holistic approach toward football. The idea that, uh, yeah, you want football guys and you want to you want to know your players, but that there were there were elements and insight to be gleaned from studying, for instance, how the Navy SEALs approached leadership. Um you know, was there an, an article in a science journal somewhere that might provide some sort of insight into how Bill McGovern could coach the inside or outside linebackers? He was doing those kinds of things all the time, which seems to perfectly align with what Jeffrey Lurie would want in a football coach. The whole idea was with Chip was that I'll take maybe I want certain kinds of athletes and I want certain kinds of people. And that was always seemed to be a pretext for why Deshaun Jackson and LaShawn McCoy weren't here anymore is that they weren't, maybe they were terrific football players, but they weren't the right kind of people that Chip wanted. And that seems to be what Laurie just said, that there's more to this than just talent. It's, you know, are they good in the community? Do they do this? Do they do that? Do they do the other thing? Or did we draft them? Well, 
what do you want? I don't. I still don't know what Jeffrey Lurie wants in a football team. He just wants to win, I guess. And he's dressing he wants it up. Championships as, for Philadelphia. Yeah, and he's dressing it up in all this, you know, corporate psychobabble. Yeah. So here's my thing. The problem is we've got we've got we've got straw men and false equivalencies just running all over the place, and it's it's very hard to unpack each one of them separately. But I'm gonna, I'm going to try real quick. First, the first false equivalency that. 95% of this market is is guilty of setting up, employing, arguing with for is that the Eagles it's is premise. Eagles did not win. Therefore, getting rid of Deshaun Jackson and LaShawn McCoy was a bad move because conclusion, they would have won with Deshaun Jackson and LaShawn McCoy. There's a very good chance this team is just as bad as it was this year with Deshaun Jackson and LaShawn McCoy. First of all, the health, which was one of the big reasons why I understood the, the conviction to move on from them. Mm-hmm. I mean, LaShawn McCoy still has not been the same running back since he took that lick against, I forget who it was, the Rams, when he allegedly didn't have right. a concussion. Uh, he, he just isn't. He's, he's taken a lot of pounding. I mean, you talk, you talk about the Marco Murray red flags. LaShawn McCoy had 300 carries in back-to-back years, and he's a s- small guy. Mm-hmm. Running backs only have so much tread on their tires. And guess what? He, he missed four games this year. Yeah. And he was only really effective in four or five of them. I mean, he wasn't really effective against the Eagles. Nope. Uh, so when you, when you take those four games into consideration... I mean, unless you think that his body's going would have his hamstrings are more conducive to Philadelphia water or something, they would not have broken down, uh, or his ankle or whatever it was, he would have gotten hurt here too. Or, or you can't pretend that he would have been healthy right. because that's part of the decision making that went into getting rid of him. So you take Lashawn McCoy out of this lineup for four games and then put him in with this offensive line. Maybe he's not any better than Demarco Murray was. That's. Same thing with Sean Jackson. How right. many games did he miss? Right, and the and the the flip side, the, the other side of that too, um, and this, you know, moves into the realm of what's happened so far this off season, is that as you wrote about in your column that appeared online Tuesday night and and then again Wednesday morning, it is possible that Chip took a look around at the roster he had after two ten and six seasons and said this is as good as it's going to get with this group. We're not going to get any better than what we had. And I've got to do something to shake things up. Now, it did not work in 2015. They went 7-9 and nine. for whatever reason. If you want to say it was because he's a bad coach, bad personnel decisions, that's fine. That's all fine and good. But if you leave Chip in place, presumably you leave those players in place. So you're going to find out over a broader period of time and as Jeffrey Lurie said, it's just time. It's not money. You know, he's not worried about you know, money. Is, spending money is one thing. Spending time apparently is something else. Okay, well, let's, let's find out exactly how much better things do or don't go in the second season after Chip has made all these changes. What you've got now after Chip being fired and after Howie making all these, um, the, the trade with Maxwell and Alonzo and signing Brooks to play guard and all this stuff, is you've got basically the third offseason of upheaval in the last five. And that's no way for a franchise to operate if it wants to su- sustain success. Yeah, we've got, I mean, we just have so many mutual, non-mutually exclusive things bubbling around that aren't, that are being treated as mutually exclusive. Again, I don't know that this team is a playoff team with LaShawn McCoy and Deshaun Jackson. In fact... They weren't one with him, with them 
the year before, right. and the, the, the talent on this roster only got worse, it seemed. Uh, so there's that. But I'm not arguing that Chip Kelly... Look, Chip Kelly is a flawed individual. I, I think he's actually a, has a big tragic flaw, which is, you know, I, I don't think that he made. I think he could have made the relationship work as well. That being said, I do think, and this is not revision, revisionism on my part, because I thought the same thing that that first year was a fluke, and that Nick Foles was not twenty-seven and two. Nick Foles, like, right. he, he, this team was not nearly as good as it played. That the NFL got caught off guard by, you know, Chip Kelly's system. They're, they they ran into a you know, eight week stretch of backup quarterbacks. They, you know, there was a lot that went right for them. They were not nearly as good as how they played, starting with the quarterback position. The next year, I think, was more indicative of, of who they really were. And I think they actually, I think they have actually overachieved for their talent To get to level 10 and 6 that the, year. Yeah. Yes. I, I think they've yes. overachieved all three years, really, because look, he, he got 10 wins out of a team led by Mark Sanchez and a Nick Foles who, lost his job to a concussed Case Keenum, you know? Like, this is... There's a very good chance. In fact, I firmly believe that Chip Kelly looked at this roster and was like, yo, it's not getting better. I got to do something. Right. And I I really do believe that it wasn't a lust for power that led him to topple Howie Roseman. It was a belief that Howie Roseman was not making this team better. Yeah, and and look, they went for it at a time where you could say... He's two years in. He's made chicken salad out of chicken you-know-what to go 10-6. and six. Thank you. I don't have a bleep, so I appreciate that. <laughs> um, to go 10-6 and six in 2013 and 2014. So you've hired this guy, and, and, and Murph, you and I have both written about this, this idea of you don't bring in a guy with Chip Kelly's track record and right. personality and mute him in any way. You don't decaffeinate him. You, you have to give... This is Chip Kelly. You got to let him do what he does because it's different from everybody else and it's what's got him here. He is not a traditional football guy. And so you did that, but you only did it for a year. And was it a good year? No, by no stretch of the imagination were they a quote were they a good football team. But you can't then pull the rug out from under him and try to start fresh and say, oh, "Okay, well we'll get it right this time." Because what ends up happening is the same thing that's happened quite honestly, to the ice hockey team that's been in town trying to win a championship for 40 years is that it's always all or nothing. And yes, the NFL is different. I get that. Yes, you can turn it around in one year in a way you can't in baseball, hockey, or the NBA. But it's still not a good formula for maintaining success over a long period of time. And now they're in a situation where, what? Like, if it doesn't work now, are you going to blow it up again? Yeah, I mean this travesty is all on 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 Jeffrey Lurie's hands. I mean it's 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 very clear that Chip Kelly did not have the respect for Howie Roseman that a head coach needs to have for the guy who's in charge of filling out his roster with players. Right. And Chip Kelly actually spoke with the media today, I believe uh, today Wednesday down in in Boca Raton, um, and he actually went into the whole Chip. Have, have you read this? Yes. Um, you know, and again, so here's Chip Kelly. I, I've seen Chip Kelly, like Chip Kelly's a, I've seen him lie without even flinching. So I don't necessarily take what Chip Kelly says as gospel. At the same time, I absolutely don't take what Howie Roseman says as, as gospel because there's no way you can take what somebody says as gospel who has managed to weather the storms. I, I, that, hey, that I know you, managed. and you went to LaSalle at Christian right. Brothers University. You don't take what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John say right. as gospel. So well, I mean, that's a that's a that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> so, so I think we can do we can. But, but, but listen, 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 listen. 
So what did Chip Kelly say? Chip Kelly said, essentially, it was a quote-unquote weird situation. He said he never saw Howie Roseman. They didn't communicate at all. Ed Manowitz was their go-between. Right. All of that, I believe. Yes. Now, he also says in here that, essentially, he, he paints it as a situation in which he and Manowitz would send Howie the players. This whole thing is just, it's hilarious that this actually goes on. But anyway, I mean, this is a professional, this is actually an argument against socialism because there is no, like like for an owner, there's no risk involved in owning an NFL franchise and you can run a a crap organization like this because you're, you're assured of getting your revenue every, every year. But anyway, that's, that's, that's another podcast as well. Uh, He said, Kelly said, quote, I never really saw him, meaning Howie, so I don't know what he did on a daily basis. (laughs) So Kelly says, you know, we we would send him a list of players, and then from that point on, Howie was just responsible for negotiating the contracts and bringing him in. Kelly essentially said, I didn't negotiate and say this guy gets this amount of money, that guy gets that amount of money. That wasn't what I did. That's a load of horse hockey, I believe. I mean, there's no way that... There's no way that the ramifications of these moves were not explained to Chip Kelly. Jonathan. And I saw this when, when Jeff McClain was tweeting from Chip's remarks, and I'm sitting there watching, and the one comes across the Twitter feed that almost makes me fall out of my chair on the spot. Chip Kelly said that Howie Roseman negotiated the Byron Maxwell and DeMarco Murray contracts offseason. Well, that's lovely, but didn't Chip Kelly want to sign those players? Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I yeah. mean, it's 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 look. And that's, it, that's what exposes the whole thing as horse manure. But the, but that's the, the setup is what was. I have no doubt that some some derivative of this situation, some composite of, of right. the two sides is is accurate. What it comes down to is, if it's clear to us, just listening to the to the secondhand version. I mean, Jeffrey Lurie had to, he had to realize this was not going to work after the first season and he had to step in and make a make a bold decision the kind of bold decision making that he talked about yesterday he had to say look i you know we hired this guy it's not working out howie we need he, we need to bring in a football guy we need a guy bring in a guy he trusts which is something chip kelly said today i yep. have no doubt that howie's and chip's relationship was undermined by a lack of trust how you gotta understand howie roseman is a guy who started out as essentially joe banner's errand boy he has no formal training in football. He is a lawyer, um, you know, and, and he's just kind of this guy who, who fell in love with the, the film process, as so many people now on Twitter are, are you know, all the right. draftniks on Twitter are. He was essentially the original Twitter draftnik. And, you know, in addition to all his other duties, would, would kind of, you know... Sit by Andy Reid and watch film right. with him and presumably soak it all up. Right. Well, and, and there's a reason why you never hear any... Uh, any admiring tales of color from people who watched how we do this you know like right. you don't you don't see you don't you don't you don't get a peter king profile where scouts are like ah yeah, we didn't trust Howie at first but man the kid put in the work and man he he's got an eye for talent you never hear that no you there's, don't. A re- there's a there's a reason why you don't hear that no and, and and it's it gets back to kind of the balance between you know and, and it gets back to what we discussed last week when jeff mcclain was on the podcast with us the balance you try to seek in evaluating players in any sport between the analytical and the practical and instinctual. Um, there's a scene in the in you know a, a movie that people in Philadelphia love, which is a terrible movie. Um, 
uh, Invincible, the movie about Vince Papali. Oh, boy. Okay. Bad movie. Bad movie. But the give, one good scene. thanks, that door shut. It yeah. burned out <laughs> if there was anybody in your But there's one, there's one genuinely insightful scene in which uh, Papali, played by Mark Wahlberg, gets his roommate at training camp and on the campus of Westchester University. I may have been college at that time. And the, the roommate is an offensive lineman. And Papali makes some kind of offhanded remark about how poorly the lineman has been playing. And the lineman falls into his stance and grabs Papali and starts showing him the nuances of how to play the position. Like, look at my knuckles. You see how my knuckles are white? That means I'm going to, you know, move forward or fall backward. And there are those things that if you're Howie Roseman or you're me or you're Murph or John Tannenwald, Unless you play the sport, you're not going to know those things instinctually. You're not going to know to look for those things when you're watching film. As, as Murph said last week, some guys are going to watch film and just get it, and some guys aren't. And Howie's at the other end of that. He's the analytical guy. He's the, but, all right, now that we've got this guy, let's figure out the salary the, cap. The, but the, So that's the other misnomer about Howie Roseman. Everyone just kind of assumes he's an, an analytics guy because he looks, I don't know, because he looks, he, looks like the Theo, part, yeah. he looks like Theo Epstein. But he's a lawyer. And he, he, he was never, he's not a, he's not a trained. He didn't go to MIT. He's not a yeah. trained mathematician. You know, he's not, he, he, the Andy Reid regime had a statistics guy, named, a guy named Mike Frazier, you know, who was a trained mathematician. Howie Roseman, that's not his background either. Howie Roseman knows the salary cap. Right. He knows contract negotiations. He, he, he came up under Joe Banner and he's very good at it. Problem is Howie Roseman's tragic flaw is that he, he wanted something more. He wanted the world. And uh, well, I guess it wasn't a tragic flaw because he's, he's yeah, falling he's, upwards. Right. But anyway, the point is Chip Kelly, how he rubs you, how is a guy who, who comes across as a guy who wants to be taken seriously yes. by the football establishment. And that's a good way not to be taken seriously by the football establishment. I remember watching from afar before I was around the Eagles uh, while I was still covering the Phillies. I, you know, any time Howie Roseman talked about a player at a press conference, he would make sure to drop every scouting term in the yes. glossary yes. that he could possibly drop. And, it, and it, it was so transparent that this guy was was overcompensating for something. And that, that comes like the football guys are very... I mean, they're like any guys. They're parochial, they're territorial, mm -hmm. but they're also like, yo, don't waste my time. Like, right. Th Th that's true of any sport. I, I discussed this with Jerry Colangelo a couple months ago, um, and he talked about coming up in the NBA. He was a young general manager with the Bulls. He was literally, in a way, Sam Hinkie before Sam Hinkie came along. Colangelo was 28 and was the general manager of the Bulls, and he went out on a scouting trip one time um, and had a conversation with either somebody within the Bulls organization above him or another GM. And the, G, the, the elder guy told him, you're going to do fine here because you keep your mouth shut and just watch and listen. And that's what you ought to be doing for a long while. And Murph is right. There's something about Howie that suggests maybe he is like this, but he does not come off that way. He does not come off as somebody who just wants to watch and listen. He want, he comes off as somebody who wants to show you how, how much he knows. He is, yeah. And that can be grading. That can be something that does not earn you respect. Um, no matter how earnest you might be and how good your intentions are, sometimes it's just good to just sit back and be quiet. And how he does not come off that and way. And look, I know a lot of people who've, who've, who've worked with Howie. I've talked to a lot of people who've worked with Howie. I've been around Howie. I've listened to him from afar, from up close. He just comes across again. He come, put it this way: when that when the Eagles hired Chip Kelly, I was shocked. This mm. was at, at, after the second go around, especially when the narrative came out 
And who knows if it was true, but especially when the narrative came out that Howie played a crucial role in it and went out and courted him and, you know, yada, yada, yada. That astounded me because I thought that Howie would, Howie struck me as the kind of guy who would find a way to not let Chip get here because it would threaten his turf. Exactly. And Howie struck, and Chip struck me as a guy who would sniff Howie out in a second Mm -hmm. and would just not take him seriously and and would, in fact, be bothered by him. And that's exactly what. Ended up happening. And say what you will about Chip Kelly. He's a very astute observer of human behavior. Behavior. He he is very, just from looking at his interactions with reporters, from listening to, you know, some, some of his explanations, explanations for, why he, does for why he does things. He's very quick. He knows when somebody asks a good question. He knows when somebody knows their stuff. He knows when somebody doesn't know their stuff. He knows some somebody who can be needled. He knows he's, he's, he's a keen observer of the human condition, put it yeah. that way. And the fact that how he lasted as long as he did surprised me. But now let's fast forward to when he didn't last. I thought, all right, now, boom, Jeffrey Lurie, congrats to him. How he finally, you know, how he dug his own grave by bringing Chip in. Except that's how it would work in normal franchises. It, there was no grave. There was a broom closet, but there was no grave. And what ended up happening was what the only thing that could have ended up happening given this. Yes. You know, in, in Game of Thrones, they they don't let the king live in the castle after right. they take it over. <laughs> that's you know? right. There's a reason for that. That's exactly right. And now fast forward to the last three or four months, you have... Uh, a head coach now in Doug Peterson, who we know nothing about him as a head coach at all, except that he comes across as a completely agreeable sort of fellow, uh, a very nice guy, a guy who, if you ask him a question, does everything he can to answer it as fully as possible to the point where he kind of stumbles at times because he he very clearly wants to be honest and forthcoming with you and is weighing in his head, how much should I say, how much should I not say? I mean, go back to his introductory press conference. There was no doubt coming out of that that the Eagles were going to do everything they could to re-sign Sam Bradford. Mm-hmm. There was no doubt. that All the speculation over the, the, the successive months and weeks after that was ridiculous because Peterson made it absolutely clear that day, I love Sam Bradford, I want him here, and we're going to do everything we can to sign him. And Laurie on Tuesday reaffirmed that. Yeah, it was always a top priority to sign Sam Bradford. Well, of course it was. Your coach made that clear. Your new head coach made that clear within five minutes of taking the job. And, and so that kind of personality is more likely to put up with and manage and be able to coexist with a guy like Howie. So, so now here's this is the one thing I have not figured. I, I, I'm I'm reasonably confident about everything I've said thus far. The thing I have not been able to figure out and I have actually no clue about is what was the conversation between Doug Peterson and Andy Reid when he said, yo, what's the deal with this dude, Howie, and should I take this job? I, I, I don't know what Reid said. I mean, yeah. it, it would be one thing. It, it, it would be a lot more telling if Peterson had 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 other job offers and he had taken this one. Right over those other offers and still chosen to work with Howie, it could be, you know, so I don't know that there's any way we can know aside from shooting Reed up with sodium pentothal pentothal and meatball grease (laughs) to to know. But, but here's what I think. There enough salt. Here's all grease already. Here's, here's what I think. Here's my early read on Doug Peterson. He's acting to me like a guy 
who is operating under the understanding that he's got all the capital, that Jeffrey Lurie clearly respects him because Andy Reid respects him, and there's nobody in the world who Jeffrey Lurie respects more than Andy Reid. Mm-hmm. And if Howie Roseman and Doug Peterson come to him with a disagreement, come to him with that baby that Jeffrey Lurie decided to slice in half in his infinite wisdom last offseason, at that point, it becomes clear to Jeffrey Lurie that Howie Roseman has been the problem the entire time. Maybe. Here, here's the, That's the, my the, hypothesis. Here's the dynamic where I disagree with you in that Peterson, because Peterson was not sought after by other teams, it is possible that in that in that hypothetical conversation that he had with he had with Andy Reid, it's possible Andy said to him, look, I know you can do this job. I think you're going to be great at it. You may have issues with Howie, but consider timing. Consider that if you stay with me and we go 8-8 eight and eight or 7-9 and nine or 4-12, and 12, your window may have closed to be a head coach because you see that stuff all the time. You see where, you know, Mike Pettin only got one shot to be a head coach um, and wasn't sure when that window was going to close. And so he went to the Cleveland Browns and now he's going to need, if he ever gets another chance, he, it's, he's really going to have to work to get that second chance as a head coach. And if you're Doug Peterson, you might be looking at this and saying, I don't know when this is going to happen again. You know, we're going to need to win the Super Bowl for me to get another sniff from another team. I've got this one team. My mentor knows the organization, has maybe advised me on how to negotiate this situation and get through it in as positive a way as possible. And therefore, I'm going to put up with and deal with Howie and Jeffrey as best as I can. Makes I, I guess, yeah, I agree with all that. Mm-hmm. I guess what I'm trying to say is, I don't necessarily 100% agree with the notion that Doug Peterson is a company man. I think that he's knows that he has to be a company man right now, and mm-hmm. it does not behoove him to be anything other. Because while he may have long-term capital, he still has to win. Right. I think if he wins this season, he's got all the capital next offseason in terms of if there's a disagreement. That being said, this is just a read on Doug Peterson on my part. He just strikes me as a guy who push comes to shove will not be trifled with and a guy who what that's will, interesting to stop what's giving you that impression so far i don't know part of me thinks it might just be his hair and how <laughs> much, like I, i'll tell you what though that does it for a lot of people sometimes. it does yeah i mean i i'll be honest with you. we have a presidential candidate right now who's who's riding that pretty i don't well. <laughs> i'll be honest with you i don't have i i really don't have any like freaky fetishes but like when I watch Doug Peterson, like I kind of want to pet his hair. Like it's just a really nice mane, man. Like he's like he's like Richard Gere. He's like Richard Gere in 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 just about any movie. That's true. Since he went gray, I mean, it's just a. There's a lot of it. So you nice. just want to run your there's, fingers. There's been a lot of really fascinating things said on this podcast just, over the time. That might be at the top. It's just so nice. If 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 they made sweaters out of Doug Peterson's hair, I might buy one. Seriously, even though I don't like sweaters. Anyway, so uh, but anyway, but but. Like, why do you think he's, bit, he's bit, that a, strong in a, bit a pivot, personality? In, in a bit of a pivot towards the serious side, I, I do think he has a presence. That is the thing that impressed me about Doug Peterson. He has a presence in a room, and he has that... I mean, he's a football player. He, he, he has that look. He... Uh, I don't know. It's just... A, it's a re, he just strikes me as a guy... You know, there's a little moment when... After the, uh, after the introductory press conference, when, when he was introduced as head coach, 
reporters kind of circled around because because god forbid we didn't ask him enough questions at the press conference everybody circles around him afterwards to ask him more questions mm -hmm. many of them awful and <laughs> you will see me in the back row and rolling my eyes yes. but anyway um none of the beat writers this is more that was more directed at whatever i won't i won't name names um and i don't ask great questions either which is why i usually just don't ask them uh what was i saying oh anyway so so he was asked do you have how much control will you have over your roster mm -hmm. And I don't know what exactly he said or how he said it, but he but he said it in a manner that there was a bit of that like hesitance where like he knew what you know he was trying to say that he was trying to say the right thing, mm -hmm. but it came across like I'll have some control, hmm. like like kind of a knowing you know this is again a complete re complete intuitive read on my part, mm -hmm. but I think that look I. I I don't know. I mean, I think that if Howie was, I don't know. I don't know. Take, yeah, it's, I, it's a hard like thing. Like I said, it's, it's the one thing I don't know. Yeah, it's a hard thing because I think you can draw that conclusion or make that insight out of a lot of guys in the NFL. Like I would say, to, again, to use him as an example because he's somebody I'm pretty familiar with, I would say the same thing about Mike Pettin. Like if he can act that way too, but that doesn't mean that he's in a position necessarily to exact that kind of but power. But he, he did. He tried to. He tried to, and it didn't work. But that's, I think, I think, I guess if, if I were to put it into a, into a word, into a term, I would, I would phrase, Doug Peterson strikes me as diplomatically forceful or forcefully diplomatic. Okay. Where he that, will yeah, find, that's fair. He will, he, I think he's confident that as long as he wins, he will not have, a, have a power struggle with Howie Roseman. But that's, that's just me. The, the the big thing he needs to to do is is figure out if Howie Roseman can get him some players because that's going back to 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 Lurie's to Lurie's uh, monologue about the young players. Like, what is a guy? What is a guy like Zach Ertz and Vinnie Curry done? Yeah. Like, I mean, you're talking about these guys as a core. As if you know, I wrote today like it, Jeffrey Lurie. Listening to him speak, you would have thought that the Eagles were this ascendant organization on on this upward trajectory before you know the devilish Chip Kelly came in. And, right. Right, and, and and where's your confidence that Howie Roseman, whose Achilles heel has been the draft, is going to supplement this talent, the supposed core of talent, with more talented players through the draft, which is what he has to do because the free agency thing, the blowing it up and rebuilding it quickly isn't working. Well, and, that's, and that, to me, sets up the worst-case scenario for this franchise, which is that Howie Roseman played all of his cards perfectly— he, he in, a, in a way let self chip kelly self-destruct self-destruct or he would self-destruct you know came into Lurie, gave him this presentation about you know finding his zen you know in the <laughs> mountains of whatever decision making you know and and i mean it almost sounded like I, I i could almost picture Lurie as he was talking the only way it would make sense to me what he was talking is if he was regurgitating the spiel that Howie gave him when he was convincing him to give him his job back, everything right. about, and, and, and frankly, Lurie, uh, you know, he might just be that kind of guy because he was saying all the same things, you know, about the spiel chip gave him right. last exactly. year, you know, and it's exactly. almost like, you know, you just need to get his ear and, and, and say the right him. things right. and persuade him. And I think Howie Roseman probably was better at that than Chip Kelly. Cause Howie Roseman has been around him long enough, you right. know? Right. So anyway, I, I think the worst case scenario is Howie Roseman, 
laid out this whole spiel about how, you know, the analytics are the future. Look, look, the hit rate in the draft isn't that great. Like we've been, you know, we've gotten a bad rap as far as that goes. Like these players are really young. We need, they just need to be in the right scheme. Like we can do this. Like I'm, I'm ready. Like I can build this organization. Let me fly. And now, you know, they're signing Zach Ertz and Vinnie Curry and Lane Johnson because they have no choice, but Howie Roseman and Jeff Lurie has, have no choice but to believe that they are the type of players that deserve to be part of a core, or right. else it didn't make any sense to give Howie Roseman his job. Exactly. And frankly, we don't know. And, and you know, this 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 upcoming season really will be the test of that. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. And, and, and the danger then is okay. Well, now you've built yourself this core that's that isn't not really, very good. That it, that's not really a core. Right. Right. And that's and that gets back again. You know, circling back to. Um, you know, who can you draft? Who are you going to draft? Are you hitting on these picks? Um, and the advantage, and again, the misreading, I would say, of what, of the success that the Eagles have had under Jeffrey Lurie and why it happened. And now, so, so then this is, this is the other amazing thing, and it kind of touches on something that I, that I tangentially deviated from um, earlier. Tangentially? Tangentially. Tangentially, yes. Ten, 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 uh, yeah, I guess that. The other one didn't think, sound too tangentially, good. Tangentially, we have to exhale, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We'd have to bleep that. Maybe. They're tan, baby. Um, what was I saying, anyway? I, we don't know. You yeah, haven't I, gotten there. You were going to say something tangentially, and as with most I forgot, tangents, I forgot to off take, the rails it went. I forgot to take my pill today. Um, <laughs> oh, so how? So so anyway, Lurie is going on this huge... This, uh, this is the other thing that just, like, well, I had to sit in my car and, like, make make it make sense. Make it make sense. This, a rational person doesn't think this way. Um he was talking about how the data they're getting all this data yes yeah and how you know analytics of the few and all this stuff that i when i i actually think he made sense during this part where it's like yeah like there's there's a ton of room to improve football in a money ball manner starting with the hit rate in the draft mm-hmm. you know started you know with all this data that they're going to be getting from RFID, which is essentially like he 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 called it biometrics, but I'm pretty sure it's more GPS than. Bi- yes. I don't think that they're getting heart rates of guys as they run down the field. I think they're getting like they're seeing exactly how crisp a route a guy right. ran or what his acceleration was ten yards, ten to twenty, twenty to thirty. Right. And they can you know, and and he's and he's saying that the the front office there's an opportunity here for a front office to establish itself as you know, the, the money ball, you know, type front office that can really give itself a leg up by eliminating a lot of the risk involved, you know, in injury prevention, you know, resource allocation, all this kind of, all of, all of this stuff, I agree. But then you look at the guy who will be in charge of building that department. And even though he might look like Theo Epstein, he isn't, he's a lawyer who came up (laughs) studying the salary salary cap underneath Joe Banner and the Browns, the Browns now the Browns went out and hired the Moneyball guy. They went out and hired a guy who has done it successfully and had a movie made about him. Uh, Paul de Podesta, he was, he was one of Billy Bean's underlings with the Oakland A's went on to uh, GM of the Dodgers, enra- enraged Bill Plotsky in Los Angeles <laughs> while he was with the Dodgers, and, executive and then, with the Mets who helped he them with the build, Mets. You know. I mean, essentially everywhere he's gone, you know, the franchise has ultimately ended up winning based on a lot of the stuff that he implemented during his time there. The Browns hired him, and they said much in the same way the Phillies hired Matt Clentock 
not, not the way Matt Klintak hired the Google guy who has never done anything baseball related, but he's a smart guy who's done this stuff, who knows how to, you know, model human behavior and model decision making and make analytics make sense and make data make sense. The Browns hired a guy who has a track record in doing that. The Eagles, the, the the director of football operations position or vice president of football operations position that Howie Roseman currently inhabits, that he was deposed from and then restored to, is the type of position that should be able to attract a guy like Paul DePodesta, who, who whose resume is longer than a you know YouTube video of him backpacking through Machu Picchu <laughs> to, to talk to. Brazil's national team's soccer manager. You yeah. know, like it's it, it it it's laughable that this kind of position was given to a guy who has who already had a chance at it and at the very least was not a resounding success. Yeah. And before that had no none no training in any one of these areas. Well, that's the thing is that if it's so if it's so important and I do believe that I, I, I think Lurie may have been overselling it a little bit. I think that there's there's less there's less room for a moneyball type of revolution in football than baseball. But it certainly helps. Why is, is Howie Roseman sitting there with his Excel spreads? Is he the, is that he is he the analytics well, department? Well, that's just it. Is you know do you want Howie seems to me? I think what you're trying to say is Howie's caught in between. He's not a football guy, quote unquote. And he's not an analytics, a hardcore analytics guy either. He just hap- he wants to be a football guy. He's got a reputation as an analytics guy, but he's not really an analytics guy. C- compare it to the if sick- you mean caught in between by he has no skill set other than negotiating contracts. Yes, that's yeah. what I mean. Okay, and like that, that, I accept that. Like, look at the Sixers for instance. Whatever you think about the season they are having and what they have done so far, at this point right now. They have a dynamic setup in their front office, and I think I think the the conflict between Sam Hankey and Jerry Colangelo has been overstated to an extent. Mm-hmm. But look at the dynamic you have set up. You have Sam Sam Hankey, who is the the hardcore analytics guy, without the experience or maybe the personal um, inter the interpersonal qualities that would allow him to. Uh, be considered sort of a, an old school general manager, so to speak, to do it the old way, you know, that that's always worked. He's looking at new things and trying things in a different way. And then you have Jerry Colangelo, who is very much the old school guy. Like, you know, I'm just going to look at that guy and he can play for me or he can't based on me looking at him. And, you know, I'm going to shake your hand and, and my word is my bond sort of thing. Well, if they can work together, then you've got both sides of the coin. If they have no sides of the coin. The, the Eagles don't have any sides. That's of the my coin whole point. Right is he, 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 he's he's uh, Jeffrey Lurie is describing a person who Howie Roseman has get, has no qualifications that suggest he is. You know, he's he's not he's not a mathematician. Guy. He's not an you know economics guy. Yeah, economics. economics guy. I put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> uh, you know, and it's so it's just uh, it, it's fascinating to me that that a organization like the Browns go out and you know for better or for worse make a bold hire in a guy who is well versed in all of these things that 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 Jeffrey Lurie was talking about. Whereas the the Eagles now, I, I mean, there's a very good there's a there's the danger is they fa- fall so far behind the curve by the time they realize that Howie is not the guy to be building this modern football operations department and and it's amazing to me it really is amazing to me it's amazing to me that people 
that if you have a billion dollars, you can just like run an organization like this and it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Like it's amazing. I should have gotten a million, a billion dollars. <laughs> I went in the wrong business. I think we all went in the wrong business. Yeah. Did you want to say I, something? I, not about this, about something else. Okay. okay. Well, let me, all right, before we do that, let me, let me, I, I, I solicited questions on Twitter and, uh, so let's shift some gears a little bit. Cause I promise sure. these people. I have, I have one thing that I want right. to bring up to close the show out. And all right. We'll, we'll take a couple questions. I got tweet tech up here. I got all the tweets coming all right. at you. Jam. All right. So, so James Mar- Marinchak, loyal follower. Yeah, me too. Jamma seven eight nine. No way. He's mine. No, mine, mine, mine. Uh, I want him. I want him. I want him. If you're the Sixers, who, who and you have the first pick, who, who are you taking? Chris Dunn. Okay. They need a point guard. He can be the point guard here for a good long time. I think he's. I, I mean, they need everything. They need everything right now. I would. Um, but they don't need a seven footer. I, I don't mean, think. Your boy Kevin Durant's seven feet, isn't he? I, I'd take Chris Dunn. I think he's over got Kevin the Durant? potential to be. You would take him over the kid from Kentucky? I think, well, it's funny. I got in a debate with people uh, back when the Sixers drafted Drew Holiday. Mm-hmm. And I thought they should have taken, I think it was, was it Ty Lawson out of Carolina at that point? I think so, Around yeah. Around the same time. They yeah. went like next to each other in the draft, yeah. incidentally. I said I would have taken Lawson because I would have taken the guy with more seasoning, and everybody came back to me and said Holiday has more potential. Better to take him. I think Chris Dunn might also have more potential, but I think he's definitely right now the better player. Okay. I I will say this. I am not a Ben Simmons fan. Oh, I think he's completely crazy. I mean, he might have the talent, but you still, when you're in the NBA, and perhaps even more so – because you're even more entrusted in the NBA to do it yourself instead of having somebody coach you and carry you and build you up along the way. No, I stay away from Simmons, absolutely. Put it this way. I, in in, in uh, Brandon Ingram, I see everything that Ben Simmons is supposed to be, but he's got that finishing ability and that, that want to get there's, to the hole. There's an, I was just going to say, there's an edge to Ingram's game that there doesn't seem to be with Simmons. And I know that's nebulous, and I know that's the eye test and all that stuff, but... There's, I watch Simmons, and it's almost like he's kind of light and airy in the way he goes about things on a court. And Ingram has that sort of ed, just an edge. There's a hardness to him that I like. Yeah, I think, and, and, I, think yeah. I, I actually I think Ben Simmons would be. I think the perfect role. I think the perfect situation for him would be a a chance to grow into a good team with people around him. I right. think that he, if he's not, he doesn't play like a number one guy, you know, no. like a, like a guy who has the ball in his hands and you know, you, you need, you need, you need him to right. take 30 shots a night, you know? Right. I th- and I, I wonder if it's because I don't know, I don't cover SEC basketball at all. And most of the folks who I know who do cover Kentucky, not LSU. I wonder if he's been sitting there all season, knowing that he's going to be the number one draft pick or whatever it is, and figure that he can. Well, that's a warning sign. That's a warning sign to me too. Absolutely. And it, like the whole thing is just a warning sign to me. Like if you take your career seriously, don't go to LSU. If you do go to LSU and you don't take that team to the NCAA tournament in the SEC, right. then you're, yeah. you're not a transcendent player. Right. And uh, you know, number three. Yeah, that's yeah. That's, look I, at I mean, go back. It's it's you're going in the way back machine. But look at David Robinson in 1987, 1988. He gets Navy to the Sweet 16 for God's sake. Yeah, I mean, sure. that doesn't happen unless you're a completely last, transcendent player. The last number one overall pick to not make the NCAA tournament when he was in college, assuming he played college, was in 1970 something or other. It was mm-hmm. Doug. Co- there was two of them in all, in all time. Doug yeah, Collins was one. 
I think, and and Michael Thompson might have been. And the Doug other Collins, one. I think we can say, turned out pretty well. But the other guy, I've never heard of. Yeah, Michael Thompson. Michael Thompson He's played Clay for Thompson's, a long time. Played, played for a long time. Okay. Yeah, Clay was, Thompson's father, man. He was a. Oh, he was I, a nice, I didn't know that. He was right. a nice, you know, solid NBA player. He wasn't a transcendent player. All right, Murph. What other right. questions you got? Next one. Who will have the better career, Aaron Nola or Vince? Not Vincent Velasquez. Kez. <sighs> Jim, Jimmy Salisbury calls him Vincent Velasquez, <laughs> and I like that name. Um. That's a good question. I, I think Nola's stuff... Now, this is interesting because we're... Uh, Murph and I are in the midst of working on the Phillies preview section. We've got to write well, columns for it. Theoretically. Theoretically. You're in the are. midst of working on it. I, and I'm, I'm actually... A, I'm aware that I'm supposed to be I, working on it. I'm actually writing my preview column about Aaron Nola because I am really old school in that I have a particular affection for guys who don't throw all that hard and still get guys out. And even though Aaron Nola throws about 92 tops at it about there which is now basically an average major league fastball um i have a real affection for a guy like him who's gonna you know use all his pitches and outthink hitters and all that and i know that the sport now is fastball 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 and certainly the phillies need that so i'm gonna say aaron nola because i think his stuff will play over a longer period of time this is of course you know a cat you know taking into consideration that both of them may blow their arm up at any time I go this. I'm going to go with the same way, just because I think Aaron Nola has. If you can, if you have command and control, you're going to stay in the majors for a long time. Mm-hmm. And Vincent, Vincent, I'm the opposite of you. I like guys with stuff much, much more. And and I think Vincent Velasquez, if he fulfills his potential, will have the better career by far. But I, I think that Nola is just way more polished and way more consistent. And and the command and control is 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 why I say that. Jonathan, yeah, if it's if it's longer career. Nola. Does that well, mean he's going to reach a higher peak? I don't know. But I think, as you guys said, Nola has the stuff to to have a longer career. And that, for better or worse, was the question. All right. Uh, from CJ Hood. Okay. Favorite Tribe Called Quest track. As we record this today, it's a good time to ask him. Uh, I, I, I honestly don't have one. I'm, I'm not one of their listeners, but Dave, Dave, what about you? I mean, I like. I can't say half of their – I can't legally say half of their songs because they in, have, have 30 words in them. Um, I got nothing on this one. I'm sorry. I'm not a tribe called Quest fan. I'm gonna gonna have to go back through the discography and uh, and pick it up. We'll get you that one later. All right. I I got something that I want to talk about to to close the show, and it is Mike's column from Tuesday's Inquirer on my single favorite person in all of Philadelphia sports, Fran Dunphy, the head coach of Temple's basketball team. And I, as does he have a plaque hanging on his wall to commemorate that? No, he doesn't. <laughs> I'm not nearly. I mean, I've known him for 12 or 13 years, which is only half the time that a lot of the people in this town have known him for. So I'm, I'm well behind in line. I'm sure. He, I'm sure he wakes up every morning and looks himself in the mirror. I and says, need to know Jonathan Tannenwald. Worst comes to worst, I'm Jonathan Tannenwald's favorite person. So, so Fran Dunphy after Temple's excruciating overtime loss to Iowa on a buzzer beating. Put back by an Iowa player who committed a push-off foul that I have never seen called in my life and never will. Was up on the podium letting his latest NCAA tournament loss sink in for him and his players. And an 11-year-old kid reporter from Sports Illustrated for Kids, SI had worked out a deal, I guess, with the NCAA to have, was it, was it a contest or something like that where kids could, or somehow they had a bunch of kids who were reporters at all the various NCAA tournament was, sites he, across the country. He was working for Bleacher Report. <laughs> and, and he was a featured from, columnist. From what, from what, 
I'm I'll, just give, I'll give the kid more credit. Shout out yeah. the Bleacher Report. Love um, you. you know, Hire me. Apparently, this thing went fairly well at all the various it did. venues yeah. across the country. So the kid, whose name was Max Bonstetter, asked Fran Dunphy, Coach, it was a heartbreaking loss, but your upperclassmen stepped up. How do you feel about them? Now, any number of coaches, I would specifically note here Baylor Scott Drew, whose team was a flaming disgrace when it lost to Yale, could have um, dismissed the question or given some snide, short, annoyed, whatever it may be, answer. And Fran Dunphy gave a long, I'm not going to read the whole thing here, long, thoughtful, honest answer, made a point of praising Max by name for, a, for asking a good question and, you know, said the abruptness of the ending is frightening, to be honest with you, but thank you for the question, Max. That was mm-hmm. how he concluded. And a lot of the folks who were up in Brooklyn wrote, you know, short vignettes about this, and, and you wrote it in the paper on Tuesday. And I, when I tweeted out the link to the column and retweeted you, I said, this column sums up to me everything that is why the people who love Fran Dunphy love him and the people who hate Fran Dunphy hate him. And the people who love him do so because he is one of the classiest people that any of us have ever met. He is honest. He does not make shady dealings under the table to get recruits. And oh, by the way, he is one of the most consistently successful coaches in Big Five history. Yes, he's never been to the Sweet 16, but the number of times that he has been to the NCAA tournament, the number of conference tournaments since he's been at Temple that he's won, the number of regular season that he's titles that he's won, in the Ivy League, where there is no conference tournament, and that's all that matters. In the A-10, in the American Conference, nobody, yeah. nobody expected Temple to finish first in that conference this year. I know yeah. there were extenuating circumstances with SMU, but nobody expected them to finish second yeah. in the AAC this year, much less uh, b- barely anybody expected them to make the NCAA tournament this year. Yeah. Yeah. It's- and the reason why everybody ha- the reason why the people who hate him hate him is because he's too nice to them. And he doesn't, for them, he doesn't win enough. And a lot of these Temple fans, including quite a few who emailed you after this yeah. column went up, as I know you're going to talk about, it burns them so deeply that Villanova has been to a Final Four and Temple has not. And the top city recruits go to Nova or they leave town. They don't go to Temple. And it's just, it's so much of what drives their public personalities on email, on Twitter, or whatever it is, and they can't stand it. And maybe someday Fran Dunphy's going to leave, whether he retires or whatever. And I would warn folks, look at Penn. It's a decade since they last went to the NCAA tournament. It's their third coach, and they have not been able to find somebody who's been able to replicate Dunphy's success. I, they're taking for granted, I think, what they've got, Mike. And they, Go ahead. They, they, I, I think a lot of them are. I think, look, to me, the exchange between Dunphy and Max gets to the heart of a question that goes beyond Temple and goes beyond college basketball. It goes just to kind of sports in general and what we want. And we've, in a way, we've been talking about it for the last hour, which is what do we want from the people who play these sports and and coach these sports and participate in these sports when they get behind a microphone? Do we want them to, in the cliche, say the right things or do we want them to be authentic? And the cool part for me about what Fran did was that he... The point of the column is not Fran Dunphy's a good guy because everybody knows he's a good guy. And the point of the column isn't, you know, he he was nice to this kid in a tough spot. I mean, that's part of it. But the point was, like, it is possible to be 
gracious and authentic at the same time. And, and that's an interesting thing. To, like, we just spent a whole hour talking about what Jeffrey Lurie said, and we're trying to figure out, did he mean what he said? What is he, what is he really trying to say? And at the core of it, it gets us through an hour of a podcast, but if the Eagles somehow go 14-2 and two next year, it ain't going to matter what Jeffrey Lurie said. But this was a situation, I think, where you know, it, it did matter in the sense that you don't often get that. Like, you don't often get the person being classy and gracious and actually meaning it, I feel like. I feel like you get either, nowadays you either get the person going through the motions of saying, hey, we just take them one game at a time and it was, you know, they gave a good effort, blah, blah, blah. Or you get somebody like a Bobby Knight after every game that he would coach, or you get Cam Newton after the Super Bowl who is authentic, but he's a big baby. And he can't take the heat of tough questions or ridiculous questions or questions in general after just leaving, after just losing the Super Bowl. Um, and I don't know what we want. Like, Murph, I would really be curious as to your take on this because I don't know what, like, I, I think I lean more towards I'd rather have the person be gracious when graciousness was called for um, than being kind of genuinely authentic all the time. Like, I don't care that Cam Newton was authentic. Like, he acted like a big baby, I thought, after the Super Bowl. Is it the worst thing in the world? No, but it would have been nicer if he could just stay there and, and answer the questions in a reasonable way. Uh, as a reporter, I, 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 I like the guy. I, 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 don't, I don't know that I can pick one. I, I respect... I don't like guys who are inauthentic, put mm-hmm. it that way. As long as you're authentic, that that's... Yeah, I mean... Yeah, it's a great question. I I think that like Roy Halladay, for example, to me was how every every athlete should handle himself in an interview. He acted like a pro, you know, gave thoughtful answers, considered the question, Mm -hmm. Um, you know. But at the same time, I respect guys who, as long as you know, like like Jimmy Rollins was very was tough to deal with at times. Mm -hmm. But I loved the guy and respected him and he's one of my favorite guys to talk to because when he did talk yes he was great. he was great and he was authentic yeah. and uh you know he I also delivered by the way i don't know which time More i than not. i don't what do you, yeah you mean on the field yes well yeah, I, but i don't think that i'm not talking about that even i'm just talking about what fans and media members want versus what athletes get. i don't think personally i don't think fans really care uh i, I mean know. i i think that I they know about that. i think the i think they care I think the only thing they care about is when they feel like somebody is downgrading on them as a body. And I think that they cared about Chip Kelly because he, they felt he was being flipped with them the same way he was being flipped with the reporters. And, and, and that was an indication that he did not take them seriously or value their, their questions. But in terms of like, I don't think anyone, honestly, I don't think any fans really care about Cam Newton, except for people looking for reasons to hate Cam Newton already. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, 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 don't, think, I don't think fans want to be put in a situation where they are made to feel bad about themselves, either because they're disappointed, lied to, spun, et cetera. Right, it's like about I, the, the fans' only, ego. The only, the only thing people care about, I think, is when somebody says, uh, Philly fans are the worst, it's awful playing here, they're front runners, or you know, if, they're, if they act cocky. You know, it's like they, they just don't like the ethos, you know, but but yeah. most of the people who did not don't like people who act cocky don't like them anyway before they say something cocky. Right. You know, it's more right. about. But but in terms of actual words that people say, I don't I really don't think fans I, I don't think fans care about most most. I just don't think they care. I think what they want is win. I, I think they want people to win. And, and I think that, 
You know, if Bill Belichick was the Eagles coach, nobody would, no, no fans no. would care about the way exactly. he interacts with the media. You know, and and, I, and 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 oh, by the way, Philadelphia fans are already conspiratorial enough. Imagine if Deflategate was the Eagles' yeah, problem, yeah. not the Patriots. No, but I think you're right. I mean, it, I, I think Philadelphia is an interesting test case for this because you still have people here who remember the prime of Buddy Ryan's tenure with the Eagles and love him because of the the image that he presented right. in speaking to the public. We don't give a damn. We're going to go out there and kick your butt, that sort of thing. And there are people who still resent Andy Reid for the way, he, for the image he presented to the public. The idea, of, I'm not going to, I'm only going to say what I need to say, and everything else will stay behind closed doors. Never mind that Andy Reid was a far more successful coach than Buddy Ryan was. Right. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, coach, like again, I think coach wise, it's different from from player wise. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, the Eagles press conferences are weird things because people actually watch them, but like, I right. don't think anyone. Like, I don't think anyone listens to what Brett Brown says. You know, I don't think anyone, you know, I don't know that. I don't know. I think that there's this thing of Brett Brown now, which is because he's the one who speaks so much for the Sixers and because he presents an image of um, bone naked honesty when he speaks, whether that's true or not, he's got some cachet now in the town, you know, that, mm -hmm. you know, he every time he talks, it's as if, you know, it's a, it's a David Mamet, you know, tragic comic kind of play and he's a character okay, in it. I, I get that reference, you Dave. Know, I'm not like, sure you do. I do. It, it's just like, that's, oh, that's, I'm... That's I, after 1990. Yeah, I'm laying myself bare for everybody, you know, now that we've only won nine games, you know, and it's... I, I think people like that about Brett. Yeah, I just don't know? think in general, I just think in general, I mean, people don't read... Most people don't even read what we write. You're right. <laughs> they that's see, true. They see the headline on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. And, so I, you know that it. to me tells 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 me that they don't care. But just like I am beginning not to care about this podcast yeah. going any longer. Yeah, so. we'll, we'll we'll wrap it up here. I just say maybe the next guy who comes along will be the one who gets the recruit. I mean, you're more than welcome to stay in it's, here. Believe for, me, it's going to be 15, minutes, it's like 15 rant, seconds and rant about Fran Dunphy. Yeah, I mean, it's I, you can do an entire podcast just you like a one act Jonathan Tannenwald. Uh, Capulets. I tried. Dumpies. I tried that once and don't listen to it. Dunce. A play by Jonathan. By Tanner. I tried that once. Where art thou? Maybe, maybe, <laughs> the, maybe the next guy is the guy who gets the recruits and takes Temple to the Final Four, and it'll be great. I but wouldn't I, bet on it. But I, I wouldn't either. And besides, which Temple right. is a football school? Why are we yeah, even exactly. talking about their basketball? I, I, I'll, I'll stick with Fran Dunphy, and if I end up being in the minority, then. Okay. So be it. Well, All right, we're done. If it makes you feel any better, no one cares about college basketball. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right, we're, we're done. Until next week. <laughs>